Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Forward Thinking Podcast with Chrissy and Charlie here from TSU. And today we have a very special guest. We have Sydney Sloan. She's a CMO of Sales Loft, and we actually have some history with Sydney. We both, Charlie and I, worked with her at Jive, where she was the Senior Director of Customer Marketing. And Sydney has just a great background. She's worked at companies like Adobe, Alfresco, and now Salesloft, and um, is actually a two-time client of CST. So we're very thankful for Sydney for her support of CST from the beginning. And we're so excited to finally have you on. Alfresco was I our know. first client, actually. Yeah, Alfresco was our first client. <laughs> and we share we share people. People have worked on my team are now on CST. I mean, it's just been one happy family from, from yeah. the beginning. And we couldn't do... Uh, what we've done without you. So thank you for all your expertise and efforts. Yeah, great. Well, today we're going to be talking about how to orchestrate a winning marketing sales tech stack and specifically focusing on the sales engagement platform since Sydney does work at SalesLoft. Um, and so I think just to kick it off, one of the things, and you know, our podcast is focused on marketing ops professionals, but one of the things that we've noticed is, you know, MOPS ha role has expanded beyond marketing tech. And we do see that mar marketing ops folks are owning the sales engagement platform, which technically is a sales tool. Um, and we just wanted to get your insight into, you know, why that's happening, you know, what you're seeing across your clients and what does that mean for how the marketing ops and sales ops teams maybe work together to support that tool? Yeah. Um, well, I like that marketing ops people are starting to or have taken on um, sales engagement. I think it's interesting because in some organizations, the SDR teams actually roll up underneath marketing. And so it's mm -hmm. a little bit, you know, in that scenario, it feels more natural, but then it's like, well, why does it matter where they report to if the processes and the technologies connect it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. And that's what I like about this revenue operations movement re relative to thinking about how the data and the processes and the content and conversations that we are supporting between the prospects and the sales teams or the marketing teams, like all come together. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the marketing operations professionals have just more experience with look, thinking about you know, how to talk to a prospect early on in the sales uh, stages, um, ongoing, how to use technology to find efficiencies in reporting. And so all of those skills are already inherent. And so when you can apply those to sales engagement and they, you know, using a testing mentality on what works and what doesn't, they, they just pair really well. Um, but Charlie, I watched your episode on the, the long list of things that you know, oh. marketing operations professionals need to be responsible for. And it, it is a bit overwhelming. And so I think, you know, now how does marketing ops start to segment into different uh, um, areas of, of, of specialization even now? Yeah, I think that you, we see a lot of the time too, like there's different roles for like SDR ops, but one of the things that I think also supports that and I think before when, you know, the, you know, before even a sales engagement platform, like category, like before that term was even being used, there may be some email tools for sales and is very much on the SDR manager to control. But like you said, it's, there's so much more strategy that goes beyond that. Like the tool, there's a lot of that these tools can do when it comes to reporting and doing testing and iteration. And 
it's very much close to a marketing automation platform, but on a one-to-one basis. So it just seemed like a natural fit. Like that's so overwhelming for an SDR manager. Like how do they need to focus on their team and not just the emails and the testing. So we see that as like a, definitely a natural fit to go that way. I think it's um, one-to-one and it is about personalization. There is still a lot of automation that can be designed into the system. So the strategies around cadence or sequence design is, you know, there, there are strategies and best practices that all of us now provide because we, we analyze across all of our different um, customers, kind of what's working for different motions, um, but it's also omni-channel. And so you think about that and you're like, okay, hold on. It's not just about email. And I think that's the biggest difference between marketing automation expertise and sales engagement is that sales engagement allows you to bring omni-channel into one platform. In marketing, we've got our social tools that do social posting. We've got our marketing automation platforms that do email. And, you know, we may have our video and webinar platforms and they're all disconnected. And so with sales engagement, when you're orchestrating communications to an account, because I hope people are using it for an account-based motion, they have all those tools now available to them. So they can record video, they can integrate to social channels, they're using email and phone calls. And so it's a pretty sophisticated orchestration of activities that you're asking an individual to do. And so how, how do you train and, and set them up for, for success? Um, so it's a, that, that shift is big, if you think about it. Yeah. One thing you mentioned um, before we got on was about how you're seeing more and more AEs getting into the platform. I'd love you to talk about a bit more about that and kind of why you see that transition and like how that transition is going. Yeah, what we were talking about is like, what are the KPIs that, um, that really matter? And, and of course, we look at number of accounts engaged and how those are converting into opportunities. Um, and, and then, you know, how does that look at pipeline? So I think of that shared goal with my revenue, my CRO as like pipeline. And what we study is looking at pipeline creation and what he focuses on is pipeline coverage. So there's, there's, you know, they're two intersecting, but very different things. And when we're looking at pipeline creation, we're not just looking at from a marketing perspective, we're looking at across all channels. So what is expected to come from marketing, uh, you know, a sourced, if we want to use that word, but just as a channel, what is marketing bringing to the table? And we have inbound on our team. So we look at it through the inbound channel. And then we look at the outbounders and see how they're doing from, from their efforts. And then the AEs, because when you look at it, all three are what is contributing to the creation of pipeline. And, and so it's not, you know, we talk about sales engagement tools as, as tools for SDRs, but the account executives are also having to do their prospecting. So why wouldn't they use the same exact capabilities that have been built for SDRs in their efforts. Sometimes I see, you know, where you have the strong partnership between AEs and SDRs where they're co-working accounts, where the AEs are like, I'll take the C-levels and you take the buy, you know, the influencer types are all about, you know, so they, they break it up and, and, and can manage from an account perspective. And sometimes they're split, but um, I think, you know, now uh, it, that gives us full view reporting of what everybody is doing in terms of effort, what's successful, what's not. Why is an, an AE able to convert a certain type of persona versus an SDR? Like those are all things now that when people are on the platform, we can study. Do you, do you think that the pandemic has accelerated that shift a little bit? Now AEs are doing less in-person meetings, having to do use, utilize technology more to maybe drive efficiencies or because 
it's maybe kind of their only way of communicating now. Um, do you think that's been a, a driver? Absolutely. Um, Seth Mars from Forrester just did a, a, he and I did a session um, at our last sales off summit and he wrote a report on um, the number, the, the change in, in the way the buying process works and the way that Forrester looks at it is human versus non-human interactions. And in 2019, it was an average of 17 interactions that it would take to get a conversion on an opportunity. That is now up to 27. So just thinking of the, the number of connections that a buyer has with your digital content, digital experiences versus in, in person. Um, so that's gone from 17 to 27. And now the, num the percentage is 93% of those trans transactions are digital, um, even which counts like the video meetings and, and things that are, uh, people are doing. And, and I, I don't see it going back. All the studies that I read, all the conversations that I have, like the world has transitioned to a, a digital first sales strategy. Um, the idea that there's field sellers and inside sales teams, that's blurred because they've been able to prove that actually you can do the big deals and engage with customers in an effective way using primarily digital channels. And by the way, that's what buyers want. And, and they, some of the benefits of that too is not only cost savings, because now you're not flying people all over the world and paying per diems, you know, sorry for the, you know, for that, because some people enjoyed that part of their job. Um, but it's also easy, more easy to access more people in the buying committee. So they're more likely to jump on a Zoom call than, you know, fly to a city to be part of a half day in-person meeting. And so it's way more efficient on both sides. Um, and we could talk about the benefits of that now having all those artifacts of every meeting recorded and how that can be used in a strategic way um, to, to increase the likelihood of buying or to create a better experience for the buyer using all these artifacts. Yeah, well, yeah, let's talk about that. So like, what yeah. are some of the benefits? Because it just on that, there's that point, and there's also just a lot of the in-person stuff was never just tracked at all, right? Like yeah. there wasn't even like a meeting logged and now everything's digital. It's so much easier to track those activities to understand like, how many activities or what type of activities lead to a purchase. But then also like if you're actually recording the conversations, um, there's a lot of value in that. I'd love to explore that a bit more. Yeah, data and analytics people rejoice. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's all this information that we have access to. And, uh, and so what you can look at now is, yes, all those interactions, sentiment in the conversations and the emails. Um, we've created a, 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 an algorithm called a deal engagement score. And so now we're like where you could do account engagement before as marketers. So we were looking at the engagements. Is that account qualified or not? That same methodology is now used in the buying cycle itself to see how many buyers are engaged what are they engaging with do we put value to that to those elements of engagement are they responding to an email versus showing up to a 30-minute conversation oh by the way did they share that email with other people in the buying committee that's an engagement mm -hmm. and this sounds natural to us because we understand mm -hmm. how to track engagement this is revolutionary in the buying process for the sales teams to be able to think of like, oh my gosh, like now I know the health of an opportunity based on who's engaging, how much they're engaging, what are they engaging in, the frequency, have they engaged in a long time? And these all, all build into this deal engagement score, which is a predictor of the health of the opportunity. And, and so it directs the sales teams where to spend their time. 
Um, coming back to your actual question though, Charlie, is like, um, how do they use the artifacts in the deal cycle itself? Um, lots of different things. So in, in the creation of cadences, you can create snippets and snippets can remind you to do things. So if you have, you know, using video is so effective uh, in your prospecting. I, I just was reading a post today by one of our SDRs in, in the MIA team where she had created a video, a vidyard or a loom, whatever people are using of, you know, it's an almost a, a welcome and an explainer video. And the person she was prospecting responded back to her saying, this was so effective. I want my SDRs to use this because they're making that personal connection from the get-go. It's not a cold email that came out of some automation system. It's a person connecting with a person trying to engage in the dialogue. And that's different. And that's what people are looking for. But you can use that same method. Take a snippet or a clip from um, the discovery call where the client is saying, this is my pain. And you give it back to them. He's like, this is what I heard you say, this is your pain. I also picked up C, D, and E, you know, is that correct? And those get shared like wildfire because it's something new and different in the buying experience. And so all of a sudden, like, wow, look at how this is being used or is there anything else? And so it just makes the experience from the buying perspective just so much more rich, I guess. Um, so yeah, that's, I love that that, that's how, yeah. I love the idea of sharing video and I, what's your, what's some of your advice for kind of getting the team on board to creating the, that type of content, or maybe even taking an example of like, who's in charge of deciding on the strategies for creating that content? Because I think we see this across our clients. Also other companies we talk to is that they find like, Oh, where do I start with that? Like the, you know, we know we should maybe doing some things to get, you know, st to stand out like video, but it still feels like a struggle. Like it, it, and I think that's partly due to like, no one knows whose responsibility it is to get that off the ground. Yeah. I, I think that's an excellent question. Um, you know, you could say the RevOps leader, that would be my cheating answer, but it's not, it's not necessarily the case because you have to have your operations team set up the actual infrastructure. So the connection of, you know, how does the data sync between the sales engagement platform and, and your CRM and maybe marketing automation, even when you're, you know, dealing with multiple systems, working accounts, you, you got to do all that wiring. So that has to be done out of the, out of the beginning. But when it comes to the actual ongoing execution, it's not a set it and forget it system. This is a system that is, needs to be managed, that is learning, that is ever changing. And so I do think that you need to have people that are dedicated, that have this mix of enablement and analytics brains to them. So if that's, you know, a person on the team or the manager on the team that just really gets it, there are some people like that. Or if you have someone in your sales enablement organization that is looking at content strategy, which could be a cross-functional group. That's where I see the most success because I don't think, and sorry, but it's true. I can say it because I'm a marketer. I don't think marketing should be writing the, the emails for the cadences that salespeople send because we speak differently. And so what I see the best working is when you have someone that's really good at writing from an SDR perspective, promoting them into owning the cadence strategy. This is a promotion. They're really good at it. They, you know, they can manage that or a combination of that with maybe a product marketer or, you know, where I've seen content committees, I don't like committees, but where they come together and they're learning like what content is resonating 
in our marketing materials, in our sales conversations, on the website and triangulating those. I'll give an example. Um, our inbound team, a, a high percentage of the first calls were, are you a CRM or a marketing automation? I'm like, gosh, we're having this conversation all the time. And, uh, and so our, our new manager of inbound was like, hey, we're having this conversation all the time. Can we put something on the website that says we're not a CRM or marketing automation tool? And so we did. And that stopped being the first question that they had to answer every time. And they were able to advance. Nice. And so why not learn from the conversations your SDRs are having um, inbound or outbound and use that as a way to continue to inform what your content strategy is. Uh, so I think it's strategic for the com companies that figure that out and, um, it, it, and, and use it for testing, A-B test, which one works better, pull that back, you know? Um, so I, I, I hope that there's, it becomes a dedicated role who owns um, training and enabling the teams on, um, on, on the sales tools. I can go all the way into conversations too, like, you know, the video recordings and curating best practices. If you're using SalesOft or Gong or, you know, one of those tools, like that's a whole other piece of this equation. Well, I love what you're saying about not marketing not being the ones always like writing the emails for them. And there's so many examples of where in different flavors where marketing is shipping something over to sales or SDR with the best intentions, but then it just falls flat because, you know, one, it's like you said, there's differences between how marketers think and salespeople think, but also so it's just, it's kind of just like thrown over the fence and it's just like, okay, here's the stuff to use, go use it. Um, and we have Melissa on the podcast recently and she said something like very similar around scoring like really involving mm -hmm. the sales team in scoring, getting them to like be the experts in it and then training the salespeople to do it. And I think it's a, a philosophy that is so right just because you've got to involve the salespeople or utilize them to like kind of help themselves as opposed to just like thinking, just throwing stuff at them and then hoping it sticks, right? And that's a lot yeah. of what, where marketers fail or when that alignment fails. Yeah. I see um, with this re really big global uh, customer and, and so I've been sitting in some of the QBRs and it's like, you know, their response rates on their emails are sub what they would expect under 5%. And, and we're looking at the cadence reports and it's like, well, you're only using email and you're not doing any personalization. What, why aren't you just using marketing automation? You're expecting something different, but you're treating it like a marketing automation yeah. tool and you're getting marketing automation results because yeah. that's how we're using it. <laughs> You know, so how about, you know, and so you, if you can find a team that you can get to transform and actually run the plays and the ways that our data tells us, you know, and use them as the example and then go back and, and work with the other teams. So a lot of times in the big companies, you, you just have to get those pockets of high performance and then use their own internal um, experiences to help transform the other teams. Yeah, one of the things, um, and this will be interesting I think maybe to hear from your perspective, how, how you keep the space for this, but like for SDRs, and I think this has to do with a KPI or measurement issue is that part of the reason why there's a lot of automation is that they want to show activity, like lots of activity. And they think lots of activity equals results. And, you know, we do, we do the reporting. We show that's not the case. Like if anything with the SDR, instead of just always looking at, okay, how many activities are you logging? You need to really start with how many meetings are you setting? Because actually you'll see that some of the most effective SDRs, their activities are a lot lower, but because they take the time to like 
do the research, personalize them and so forth. Uh, but still we see managers are really just focused on activities. So like what's some of your advice for the SDR management or the whole revenue team to get more aligned on focusing on giving their SDRs the, the space to say, okay, we're not going to measure you on activities. We're going to measure you on results. And this is how you should think about now trying to engage an account instead of just like emailing blanketed emails calls, because we still see it happening. Yeah. Uh, And you know, it's, it's hard because there is a rigor um, that goes along with the the role of the SDR and being able to set expectations of like, Told you a fluffy cat. Okay, so I'll start over. Um, so, uh, so there, you know, I think it's hard because there is an expectation for the SDR role that that it is, you know, a high volume, velocity, rigorous yeah. job, and so you don't want to lose that setting expectations of, you know, you have to do all these things and you have to be super efficient in the way that you do it. But my advice in that particular scenario, Chrissy, is that you look at the performance of the cadences. Mm. So if you take somebody that's super successful and you're looking at, well, what is their cadence structure? Which of the steps are they taking time to personalize? Cause you don't have to do them all. And there, there yeah. is a, we, we've studied it's 20% personalization um, that after that it's actually doesn't perform as well anymore because you've gone, so you've changed so much that it's not still within the realm and it's not worth the time. Um, so it's like, what is the right amount of personalization? Uh, yeah, and it's the first sentences, right? It's the first two sentences. Like that's that's where you need to personalize and you need to keep it short or spending the time doing video. And um, and so look, I would do that. I'd be like, well, who's, who is setting the most meetings? Absolutely. Now now let's look at their cadence structure. And then let's look at their, um, their, their rigor of channels. Because the other thing too is, they're just looking at activity, how many calls and how many emails are you sending versus how many connects and how many responses are you getting? Like those are the metrics that matter, not the, yeah. it's the, it's the response and the responses that matter. Um, and, and the use of omni-channel. So another statistic that we, we share is that when you use three or more channels in a cadence, your likelihood of response is 4.7 X. So if someone's just sitting like, okay, I'm just going to crank out a bunch of emails. I'm going to get my email account and then I'm going to jump on the phone and I'm going to get my phone, but they're not doing it in a way of like the whole idea of using multiple channels, multi-touch, you know, that too, right? Double tap, triple tap on the first, um, the first uh, connection. Like if they're not using those best practices, then they're just doing volume for volume sake. So you have to be smart about how you're doing that. So I would just like, top performing cadence of the week by this, by this SDR, let's break it down. What did, what did you do? Where'd you personalize? What tactics were you using? What's your multi-channel strategy? Did you gift them something? Um, you know, what was it? Like how, how, how meaningful was it? Did you just send like a gift card or did you actually put some thought into it? So. That's a really, really good point. Cause, um, often I, even I could probably be guilty of this. I'm just like, you should personalize more. And like, I don't then see, look, also say well we need to instill some discipline there might be actually too much personalization where it's not really worth the time so like 
you don't want SDR saying like, well, I sent one email today, but it was the most personalized email I've ever sent. It's amazing. Well, you're like, well, I'm not sure you're going to meet your goals. And it had hard emojis in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a good kind of like counterpoint to like the, the, the personalization, you know, movement that you do need a balance. And then the fact that you've done the research to say, you know, the 20% personalization is about the best range to be in, the best bang for buck in terms of time and then results, then gives them very clear expectations because now they're like, okay, well, we are measuring you on volume to make sure you continue to have the discipline, but then we are measuring you on results. And here is the best way to kind of marry the two. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then this is what the model of the, you know, and here's what the best performing reps do. So rather than yeah. we used to do this, um, I forget what it was called. It was like the crash and burn session where a rep would, would talk about, I was, it was when I was really new at, at sales loft and they invited me and the SDRs would be like, oh, I had this call and here's, a, here's where it went wrong. And, you know, that's good, but let's look holistically at like, what did it take um, to, to land the account? Remember, um, I don't know if you remember this, Chrissy, if you were there, but was it Marketo's opportunity analyzer? There was yeah, some report that they had. We used to use that in the, in the sales uh, meetings at Jive where we'd like take a snapshot of that for the whole opportunity and show it to the rest of the sales team. I mean, I, that still is just a golden idea because at the end of the day, yay, we booked a meeting. Everybody gives the rah-rah, but you don't understand what are all the elements that went into getting that final piece. And when you can look at the marketing, t- marketing, what they engage with in the marketing, what they engage with in the sales engagement, we have all that data now, like, let's study that. Now, how does that become best practice? And what should we change in our cadence? That's why I said it's, it's always learning and changing because innovation is happening so quickly that, you know, yeah, videos are great now, but maybe, you know, direct mail didn't used to be the thing. Now it is like, so you can't, you, it, it continues to evolve. Um, Yeah, I love that idea because I, and I tell this to some of my clients, especially like if they, I think a lot of the time clients get caught up in like attribution and, and that whole, and like, we need this tool. And I'm, and sometimes when I really see that, you know, they're rolling out ABM or they're trying to get more alignment with the team or trying to prove that marketing like has a piece of the pie. And I'm like, I even say to them the same thing. I'm like, well, you like, you have your Marketo opportunity analyzer because some of them are Marketo customers. I'm like, you have some of the data within Salesforce to see even on the account, all the activities being logged, like put together that story, take your best deals, your biggest accounts or an account from each segment and show that and see like where, where, like, where are the successes? How many touch points or what kinds? Because we know that it's not just one thing that gets a deal done. It's just not one like activity and that's still happening where people just look at it in that way and need to give credit to a certain team, which then breaks down alignment. So I love that idea of sharing that and, and making it more around, okay, what are all these multiple things? And and this is the common thing you've been saying that I love, like everything, you know, build in multiple channels, know that there's different ways you need to approach an account. Cause it's so true. If you're just using like praying that one tactic or one thing is going to work. It's just, this doesn't work that way. No, it, exactly. I'm, I'm <laughs> plus a hundred. Yes. <laughs> I, it's, you know, I, I, I think about that and, and, and um, it's, so I'm channeling Chris Walker who has a yeah. very pointed view on, you know, what the problem is that you're measuring things because that's all that the marketing tools can measure, but it's actually not the things that are making the difference anymore. Um, and so, okay, I'm fangirling. He's right. 
And so, you know, what are what are the different tactics um, that we can use that are attributed or not attributed? And you know, it's it's hard, right? Because you're as a CMO, I'm given a certain budget, and I need to effectively invest that in order to be able to buy outcomes. And uh, and so, where do I where do I put that? Do I put it to brand where I can't actually correlate brand investment to a particular deal. It's just when a rep calls, they actually know who my company is. And ideally they know what we do and why we're the best at it, right? Like if I can do that, that's great, that recall. Um, but it's never gonna be attributed to a deal. Uh, brand does not source. Uh, brand is awareness. That's why it's an awareness metric. But, uh, you know, and that's like, and so I think about like traffic, organic traffic to the, the website is part of brand. I think of inbound is really part of brand. Like, how did they get to us? So, well, they figured it out somehow. Somebody told them or they saw an ad or, or whatever. So you have to be able to give some kind of insight into the investments that you're making that allows for the results to happen. But all I care about is opportunities. That's it. Pipeline. Yeah. Like, and then conversions. And now we, like, our dashboards are super simple. Like, I know a lot of people have fancy dashboards and I'd still like to have more information, but all we're looking at right now in, and it's meaningful enough is how many people, you know, how many people have engaged with us, number of people that connect, how many accounts are engaged from that, how many, um, how many are qualified, opportunity created, closed one. And I can look at it by segment because it's different for our small business than it is for our large enterprise. They're different sales motions, of course. And then I'm looking at conversion ratios. So I know how much pipeline we need to create to get the coverage model that our CRO needs. It's not rocket science, right? Um, and, and that we're all contributing. And if one piece of the element is off in opportunity creation, that is what we care about. Then that's what we look and say, why do we not have enough people? Is the process broken? You know, are, do their account selection off? Um, like what, what is, what is, what's going on there? And, and we can triage specifically on those teams or that segment. On the attribution piece, do you have any advice for, um, anyone out there that's struggling with that balance where you have to balance you know the measurables versus the unmeasurables like I and you just did a really amazing brand launch recently and obviously you just mentioned that's like a hard thing to track but you obviously got that budget approved and you you were able to articulate the value of that to the business to then be able to do that you know big project um like how do you balance that personally and how what advice would you have or what mistakes do you see people making in that whole process to like get budget for the things that might not be like perfectly measurable versus like still measuring things to show value yeah um when i started at salesoft and i learned this from friends um you know the the first thing i did was establish really good relationships with my peers and I told my team, like the marketing team, like, hey, I'm, I'm going to go invest here and it's going to pay off in the long run. So I'm not ignoring you. I'm, I'm very happy. Like, keep doing what you're doing, but we'll get long-term benefit if I have really strong relationships with the CRO, the CFO, head of product, where no longer were we thought of the, as the events team, we were, we were a partner to the business. And, and so my first conversation with the CFO was, um, you know, I balanced my checkbook. I I pay off my credit cards every month. You know, I take seriously the money that you're investing and I treat it like my own. And I, then I proved it quarter over quarter over quarter. Like I have my marketing finance meeting today on our quarterly roll-up and I'm 101% of my budget. 
And so when I've been able to prove and establish trust with our finance team, that when we actually did a Shark Tank kind of pr proposal to them when we were asking for the budget to incremental budget, because I already had funded the brand through my own budgeting process, but I, but I really wanted to invest heavily in getting it out there. And so we did a Shark Tank presentation, um, which was awesome. So we were looking for an investment of X to deliver a <laughs> result of Y and, and presented it to, to their team. And what we could what we could do is say, through the advertising and working with LinkedIn, um, through the advertising and working with LinkedIn, we can guarantee we can at least get our money back. Like, you know, here's the proof of our LinkedIn investments and how those have converted um, to opportunities over time. So we did have data. Um, and, and, and so using that as a way to say, so incrementally, I know we're gonna get more lift and I know we're gonna get more brand reach. And we're gonna get all these wonderful things. Um, but uh, we'll still drive business from what we're, what we're do doing, even though, and, and that's just also data that LinkedIn gave us um, because the majority of our ad, our incremental ask was for LinkedIn. So we, this is also a question that frequently gets debated. It's the, the question the board asks, your CEO asks, like, if I could give you a million dollars, where would you invest it? And it's a hard question because it's, there's never one thing as we've just been talking about an attribution and all the different, it's, there is not one golden ticket that's gonna all of a sudden result in something else. The answer is I, you know, put it in a campaign or, or you know, put it across and maybe it's headcount, maybe it's this and that. Um, but um, we, we went heavy on advertising. So. Yeah, I think that one of the things, one of the ways that I've been able to articulate it to our clients too, is that yes, maybe you're not seeing ROI on brand activities or things that are, you know, a bit gray when it comes to attribution, but it does lower your cost of acquisition. So like you might need less touch points now to get that, um, you know, person through the door, or you might see that you have more organic traffic and you're not always having to spend a ton of money to capture that demand. So think of it as more as, something that's helping you reduce your debt <laughs> rather than, you know, creating some and then getting some money back. Kind of the thing but it's a long-term investment. Yeah. It's yeah. a long-term investment though. You have to set expectations that this is, you're going to, you're not going to see this for eight to 12 months. Yeah. Right. And it's kind of like a thing that makes all things easier, right? Cause mm -hmm. it's like, if you have that more awareness, more brand affinity, then there's more people that are going to engage with all your other, you know, paid marketing channels and more people coming to your events, you know, more people coming inbound. So it kind of like lifts everything. Um, yeah, yeah. The other, the other thing is, uh, in, in early days, I was when I was running advertising back in my very first tech company. You know, it's like everybody wanted an ad in the Wall Street Journal. Like, we need an ad in the Wall Street Journal. I'm like, million bucks for an ad in the Wall Street Journal. Like, not happening. But uh, it, it is funny when you do invest in out of home and and the billboards are up and somebody like we were we had this big deal going on with with Oracle and the buyer told our CEO. Oh my gosh, I saw your billboard on the 101 and he thought it was the greatest thing. And he'd just need one of those. <laughs> you know? yeah. Just one customer to see the billboard that you invested in, or you know, multiple people to, to say, gosh, I see you guys everywhere, and say it to the CEO. And, and that's you know, that's reassuring uh, to them um, that you know the investment is worth it. So it's fine. Yeah. Well, um, I enjoyed this chat. I think we went off uh on different <laughs> tangents, but I think it was a great um 
to, for marketing ops and demand gen people and everyone to hear, because I think everything you're saying too, in order to, you know, orchestrate this like winning combination between marketing and sales, it's, it's a joint effort. It takes multiple touch points. It takes the teams getting together. It takes being aligned and that's what really wins, you know? And so I thank you for sharing all of your stats and, and some of the things that you've seen be successful and um, you know, hopefully we'll have you on again soon, Sydney. And if anyone's interested in connecting with Sydney, uh, you can find her on LinkedIn. We'll be sharing her LinkedIn profile. She shares a lot of great content. Um, she's also a really big supporter of women in revenue, which thank you so much for that. And she, she does do content for us as well. And, um, yeah, and we'll see you next time on episode of forward thinking. Have a good one. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be on. I watch your stuff all the time. So I really appreciate um, the opportunity to be here. Awesome.